We build barriers. When you think about walls, there's a lot of things that come to mind. Really, we don't even think about walls. We don't think about barriers until we need a barrier, until we need a wall, or until we realize that a wall or a barrier has become a hindrance to something that we do. When you think about walls, you have to think about walls. You think about these kind of things, brick and mortar. Uh, We think about things that we build to keep others out, maybe for our protection, maybe to help us uh, stay warm, uh, maybe too warm. It's warm in here. I'm going to take my coat off. Is that okay? Y'all hot in here? Amen. Well, next week we're supposed to be snowing, so enjoy, enjoy the heat today. Um, we, we build walls for our protection. We build walls to help us stay warm. We build walls to uh, keep things out, but also to keep things in. When you think of a wall, most of us think of a lot of things. You may think of the Great Wall of China. Uh, many people don't realize, especially those that have never seen it, that the Great Wall of China at one time, built over 2,000 years ago, uh, spread over 4,000 miles throughout China. 4,000 miles 2,000 years ago. It's it's unbelievable to imagine how they built that. Uh, One of the only modern uh, marvels that can be seen from space. Um, It was built to keep out Genghis Khan and the mongrel hordes that were coming down from the north into China. And so they built this incredible wall, much of which still remains today. If you've ever been to England, if you've ever been to Great Britain, maybe you've seen Hadrian's Wall. Famous wall that a lot of people don't know about unless you go over there. You studied history uh, in in the second century when the Roman Empire was moving into Great Britain. They couldn't fight off the wild northern tribes, which we now know as the Scots. Uh, they couldn't keep them out, and so to to keep these tribes out, they built a wall that was about 47 miles long through the English countryside that went from east to west to kind of protect them, to keep their people in and to keep those people out. Now, you couldn't talk about walls without mentioning to my generation what's probably the most famous wall. Anyone that's my age or older, uh, you remember that after the end of World War II, Berlin and Germany was divided into three areas uh, between the main allies, especially Berlin, divided between the Americans and the British and the French and the the Russians, with the Russians taking the eastern side, their side of, of Berlin and their side of Germany. The Americans, the British, the Allied nations took the west side, and they became a dividing line between the middle of of Berlin, dividing the two. In 1949, that line became even more divided when the eastern side decided that they would be uh, no more a government that was represented by the people, but a government that's dictated by the state. And so they became basically a puppet state. Uh, a communist puppet state. Those in the West that were supported by the United States became a democratically elected government. And so for the next two or three years, that government prospered and the government in the East under communist rule went down and the, the way of life went down. And so many people were flocking from the East to the West. So in 1952, the government decided to do something. Uh, They closed off the city. They shut down any travel between the east and the west. They wouldn't allow people to move. Uh, But it still didn't stop them. In that uh, year and two years as they had this border crossing, there were over a million and a half people that left and went from the communist east over to the free west. And so they erected what became known as the wall. And at first it wasn't a wall. It was barbed wire. Just a barbed wire protection, 27 miles through Berlin, around Berlin, to keep people really inside the east. It wasn't to keep people out, but to keep people in. 
Over time, that wall, that barbed wire barrier became a guarded barbed wire barrier, and eventually by the early 1960s, it had become a wall that many of us remember seeing built. Over 1,000 people probably estimated were killed from 1960 to 1989 as that wall became a deterrent for people to try to get their freedom. Many of you remember in November of 1987, Ronald Reagan, the president at the time, stood there in Berlin at the Brandenburg Gate with the wall in his background talking to the leader of the Soviet Union and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And it was just two years later, November the 9th, 1989, that the East German government, with the Soviet Union telling them they would no longer support them financially, the East German government opened up travel visas. They basically said, if you want to travel to the West, you can travel to the West. And almost instantaneously, as people began to pour through those gates that were open, people began to scale that wall on both sides. People began to climb it. And if you remember, if you were watching, I was remember watching on television, if you were watching, you remember people would begin to climb the wall, and then slowly someone came out with a, a hammer, and they began to hammer on the wall. Then somebody got a, a, a bigger sledgehammer, and they began to come, and everyone began to hammer. And all down the wall through Berlin on both sides, east and west, you could see people trying to tear down that wall of oppression, that wall that had come to represent division. For people who for generations had been family, for 30 years they hadn't been able to see each other. For 30 years they'd been separated by this big, ugly wall. You see, sometimes walls can divide. Sometimes walls can separate. All of us in this room, whether we want to admit it or not, have built walls in our lives. You see, the word wall can become a metaphor for any kind of barrier that we build in our lives that keep people from seeing who we are, but also keep us from becoming who God's called us to be. See, we build walls in our personal life to not allow people to see us in our vulnerable state. We build walls in our relationships so people can only see us in certain ways or in certain areas, and so they don't see us the way that God sees us. We build walls in our churches and in our relationships to kind of help protect who we think we have to be and who we think we have to say we are. All of us have faced walls. All of us have built walls. But the Bible is clear, really clear, and Paul is probably more clear than others that Jesus Christ came to tear down walls. See, his entire mission, his entire goal was to remove the barrier, the wall that separated us from God. Sin had become a barrier. It had become a literal wall. And uh, the Jewish people at that time had, a, had literally a wall that separated them from God in the temple. And as you progressed into the temple and went through the, the outer courts and into the Gentile courts and into the Holy of Holies and all the way into the presence of God, there was still a veil there that separated God from man. But Jesus came to tear down that veil so that you could do what you just did. So that you could worship, so that you could pray, so that you could have intimacy with God. But that wasn't the only wall he came to tear down. You see, he came to tear down the walls that divide you and I. He came to tear down the walls that take our society and put them in different compartments, that take our our groups and try to separate and divide. He came to tear down the walls that you've built up inside your heart that's keeping you from being who God called you to be. And in our passage this morning, Paul 
As we continue this series, To Be or Not To Be, Paul is going to reveal how Jesus Christ tears down the walls that you've built up and how you can benefit from that. So if you have a Bible, if you have your order of service, there's some passage as part of that in there. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up where we left off. And as you're turning there, I just want to start out today just asking you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal any walls that you've built in your life. Now, you're not going to, most walls that we build in our lives, they're invisible walls. They're not walls that we see until we come up against them, until we bump up against them. But all of us have them. And you can't do anything about a wall until you recognize that a wall is there. You see, you can't go to tearing down a wall until you admit that you have a wall to tear down. And so as we start this morning, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, first of all, to show you walls in your own life. Walls that you built to keep yourself from hurting. Walls that you built to keep yourself from showing love. Walls that you've built to, to keep from expressing what God's called you to express. Walls that maybe you were hurt in the past and so you walled off part of your past so that you wouldn't be hurt like that again. Or maybe you faced disappointment and you've walled off part of your life so that you won't have to face that again. All of us build walls in our relationships. Some of you built walls in your marriages. Walls that divide you and your spouse. You're not open, you're not vulnerable, you're not genuine, you're not real. We built walls and compartments and marked them off with our co-workers, with our friends, with our family. Some of you, you and your parents, you built walls. You and your kids, you built walls. What about walls in the church? We build walls according to who we like and who we don't like. We build walls according to the things that, that we agree on and the things that we disagree on. We build walls blocking off the lost world. Many times unintentionally. This morning, I want you to ask God to show you your walls. As we go through this, to reveal what walls you struggle with. Let's read. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, therefore, what's he talking about? Our lesson from last week. Because of God's amazing grace that you were given. That it was a free gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. Remember back in 8, 9, 10, 11, he said, before, before the foundations of the earth, God had a plan. And that plan was grace. And that grace was free. And you can't do anything to get it except to receive it. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. And because of that amazing grace, you are a new creation. You are God's workmanship. Remember a couple of weeks ago, you are God's masterpiece. God's poem, if you will, to the world. Why? Why did God create you as a masterpiece? So that you could do the works that he called you to do, that he foreordained, that he had planned for you to do for him. You were called to serve him. Because of that, he says, he begins to talk to the church here. Remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that which is done in the body by the hands of men, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of this promise, without hope and without God in the world. You see what he starts out with saying is, don't you remember there were walls? See, in the early church, I want you to realize the walls that they brought into them. The baggage that they created with it. In the, in the early church, you had the two main groups. Remember, the very first church we're studying in Acts on Wednesday night was, were Jews. All the early converts were Jews. And those Jewish people brought all of the baggage of the, the laws and the commandments and all of those things with them as they were trying to understand what it meant to be in Christ. And then all of a sudden, you had these Gentiles coming into the church. And you see, Jews and Gentiles could not stand each other. 
Jews thought Gentiles were second-class citizens. Matter of fact, a popular prayer of the day that a Jewish man would pray is, Lord, thank you for not making me born a Gentile. And then he would say, Lord, thank you for not making me born a woman. So that tells you there's a, uh, some deep spiritual prayers there. But that tells you the, the divide, the walls that were there. Jewish men, Jewish doctors wouldn't go help if a Gentile woman was in labor and distress. Jewish women wouldn't help her and a Jewish man, a doctor, wouldn't help her. Why? Because they thought it was a sin to bring another Gentile into the world. They couldn't stand them. Not only were they less people, but they also considered them spiritually inferior. A Gentile, even when he became a convert to Judaism, a, a God-fearer, if you will, is what they called him, still couldn't go past the gates of the Gentile. He couldn't even go past this gate where all the other Jews worshipped. He was still second class. And you can imagine the distrust that the Gentiles had to the Jews. If you were around people that all the time were praying, Lord, thank you that I'm not like him, you can imagine how much dislike there is. And then all of a sudden, these people with all this baggage and all this division are thrown together in this new body of Christ, this ecclesia, this church, this called out group. Can you imagine how difficult it was for them to come together? Can you imagine the walls that they erected? Not only the walls they erected, but the walls that they brought with them from their past and they just reinforced it. And you'll see this theme all throughout the letters that Paul writes to the church at Galatia and the church at Corinth and the, the, the church here and the church at Philippi as these, these Gentiles and Jewish people, converts, are trying to get along. And Paul's setting the stage here. He's saying, listen, don't you understand? It's grace that you were saved. It's grace that, that you come to even have a chance to be a part of the kingdom. Because of that grace, you've forgotten you had walls that divided you and walls that even divide you now. You see, Paul is trying to remind them that it can't go on like that. The church cannot be a part of that. All of us today are just like this in the walls that we have in our lives. But I want you to understand that those walls keep you from fulfilling who God called you to be. Walls rob our joy. Walls steal our witness. Walls destroy the unity in the body of Christ. Walls kill our witness that goes out into the community. See, I'm afraid many people in the church that think they build walls to protect the church, and, and we're seeing it every day. We, we continue to see in the church, we build wall and we build wall. We think, I'm protecting the sanctity of the church, and I'm protecting the sanctity of the Word of God. And we think we're being like Hadrian's Wall or the Great Wall of China, but in reality, we're being like the Berlin Wall. Instead of keeping a wall to keep the world out, we've built a wall that keeps Christ in, and a lost world can't hear about it. And we got walls in our own lives and walls that, that we create that are keeping you from seeing the Holy Spirit move in your life. You want me to prove it to you? It's been said that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. And I'm not just talking about race. Culturally segregated. Relationally segregated. Genderly segregated. See, we've got walls that Jesus said have to come down if the church is going to be the church that God came to save. 
We've got walls, institutional walls, walls that that have been apart for a long time. And instead of tearing them down, what you and I do is we grab bricks and build and strengthen and make them taller. Jesus said, I came to tear down walls. Paul is telling the Ephesus church, God came so that the walls can be destroyed. Well, let let me speak in a little language that you can understand. Let me name some walls. I'll make it easy for you. Maybe this will help you recognize. I identified five walls that I think are the greatest institutional walls that we struggle with today. The greatest walls that are keeping the church from being who God's called it to be, that are keeping the church from allowing the Holy Spirit to move in power and might, that are keeping us from sensing revival. And all five of these walls have got to come down if we're ever going to be who God's called us to be, if we're ever going to make a difference. Maybe some of these walls are walls that you've helped build. Maybe they're walls that... In unintentionally, you've built up. The first wall is what I call cultural and social walls. You see, we've erected these cultural walls that try to identify what region you are from in America or what region you are from in your state or what region you're from in your area. Don't we? We worship according to where we, we you know, this is our family's church. This is only for us. And culturally, this is just who we are. and This is how we do it. And anyone that comes in from outside your culture, we don't accept social walls see what we've done is we've said i'm only going to associate with people that have jobs like mine or education like mine or or dress like i do or live in my neighborhood or have car like i do or only have children like i do or kids that go to my school and you see There's nothing wrong with having associations, but what happens is when those associations become walls and barriers, not only do they keep other people from being a part, they keep you from being a witness for Christ. And we've created these cultural and social barriers. The second barrier that the church in America struggles with is a racial barrier. Where did we ever, ever, I know our country has a bad history, of racial discrimination. I'm not just talking against African Americans. I'm talking against all people of color. But we're 50 and 60 and 70 and 100 years past that. Where did we ever get the idea that it was okay in the church to segregate ourselves according to color? That it's okay to put on a sign of a church. This is an African American church or this is a Chinese church or this is a Hispanic church. Now, I'm not talking about language barriers. I'm talking about division according to race. And you see, we have got to recognize the racial division that we have created in our heart that we are perpetuating with our kids. Praise God, this generation that's now coming up, this millennial generation, doesn't recognize racial divide in spite of our work. They don't see people according to color anymore. We've got to get to the point that we allow the church to be color-free. And it starts in our hearts and it starts the way that we look at each other and treat each other and prejudge each other. Remember a church I was serving at in Shreveport 20 years ago. We had a great revival and all of these kids that were a part of a neighborhood ministry got saved. One of my friends was going to baptize them in his church and and they had to have a deacon's meeting because they were African-American. 
And in a deacon's meeting of supposed godly men in 1987, these men came up with a solution that it's probably better. This is what they told the youth minister, and there were several of us in this room. It's probably better that you take them to a church that they will feel more comfortable getting baptized in. And most of you right now, you say, for shame. But, you think, but look in deep in your heart. Remember a church I was serving in, we decided to put basketball goals outside for kids to come and play in the community. And all of a sudden, there were some Hispanics that started playing. I had to have a deacon's meeting. How are we going to decide who gets to play on the goal? I said, I'd rather take it down than have to decide who gets to play on the goal. Listen, that's not just racist. It's sin. Call it what it is. See, most of us pat ourselves on the back and act like it's okay. But, but we don't see any divisions coming down. We don't see any walls coming down. I'm not talking about forcing something. I'm talking about creating an atmosphere where people of all color are comfortable. Because I've got bad news for you. White America that's born in the South. There are a lot more people of color in the last 2,000 years that have come to know Jesus than Anglo-Saxon Americans. And so when we get to heaven, if you're looking for the whites-only section, it's going to be the little section in the corner. It's going to be a place of red and yellow and black and white. We as the church have got to be leading in tearing down racial barriers, tearing down racial walls, tearing down cultural walls and social walls. The third area, and this may be sensitive to some of you, gender walls. See, there are some still in the church that treat women as second-class Christians. I'm not going to preach a message about what I think women can and can't do, but I know that in Jesus' time, they were able to teach and minister. See, listen, we're going to have to repent as a church, as the church, and as Christians, for looking at little girls that come to their dads and say, or to their pastors or their youth ministers and say, God's called me to ministry. And we, with all sincerity, have looked and said, then you might need to go listen to what God's trying to say to you because you can't do that. That's a sin. See, we've got to tear down these walls. The, the Bible says in Galatians that there is ne neither Greek nor Jew, nor free, nor slave, nor man, or woman. And I'm not talking about different roles or different responsibilities if you want to get caught up in all of that rationalization. What I'm talking about is treating everyone, men and women, the same when it comes to who we are in Christ and what we can do for Christ. To empower each other. These are walls that we've torn down and we bring them in our own home. The reason we've done that in church is because that's the way we've treated women in our homes. So you've got to tear down this idea that somehow your wife is less than you are just because you were born a man. So we've got to be about tearing that stuff down. That's where we get these kind of things that we've seen in the news recently of spousal abuse. That's where that kind of stuff comes in. Verbal abuse, physical abuse. Listen, that's not of God. It's a sin. And the attitude that allows it has to be destroyed. And the church should be the one speaking the loudest. And instead, 500 years after the Reformation, we still cling to some kind of Catholic traditions instead of going and looking at what the Bible says about women. 
We've got to tear down gender walls. We've got to tear down social and cultural walls. We've got to tear down racial walls. And we've got to tear down generational walls. For the first time in the church, six separate generations are worshiping under one roof because we're living longer. Six separate generations and all of them view the world differently. Think about it. A generation that is called the greatest generation that fought in World War II is still in the church today. Along with the baby boomers and the busters and Generation X and Generation Y. And now we've got the millennials that have come along. And all of these generations have wonderful things to offer the church. And instead of using it as the greatest tool that God ever gave us, the diversity to reach all kinds of people, we've allowed it to become a weapon to destroy each other. We're suspicious of each other. We don't trust. Where does that come from? The older generations are suspicious of the young, and the young are suspicious of the old, and they don't respect one another. They don't learn from one another. And so the answer in the church is, we're to, we're just to divide them up. We'll have a young people's church and a kid's church and this generation's church and this generation's church. Listen, that's not of God. We didn't divide our services 9, 30, and 11 according to whose age would fit into what group. We did it according to style. I praise the Lord that there's people in this service that are from all generations. And there's people in the next service from all generations. But somehow we have got to get beyond this idea that generations divide and separate. Generations pull us together. We've got to tear down those walls that we've created. And the last one, which is probably the most prevalent in our lives, is the religious walls. See, that's what the problem was with the Jews. Jews thought they were something special because they had the history. And they had the law. So they treated other Christians as not being as good as they are. And we've built religious walls that not only hinder us and rob our joy based on what we think is right and what we think is wrong and on what we think people should do and how people should dress and how people should act. The only religious law we have is the Word of God. It's time to tear down those man-made walls that divide and that, that allow the world to keep us out. Let, let me just tell you something. I want you to think about this. Last year in Berlin, Germany, do you know what the number one question asked to tour operators? Number one by far, people that were taking people on tours or taking them through, where is the wall? The wall's been gone since 1991. For over 20 years, it's been gone. How would you like for your greatest identity in the world to be something that you were instead of something that you are? See, you think of Berlin, you think of the wall. Don't you think Berlin's tourist people are trying to think, listen, we've got to come up with a better, better pitch than the, the wall that divided us. But that's the same way we are in the church. It's the same way we are as Christians. We're known more about who we are, were than who we are. And we're known more for what we're against and the walls that we build instead of the walls that we've torn down. You see, our reputation should be those that have sledgehammers tearing down walls that separate and divide. Instead, we're known for those that carry bricks to build and to strengthen. And if we get a chance to sling them at somebody... Heaven help us. Paul's trying to wake them up to understand, don't you realize you were divided? 
And he says this. Look what he finished. Verse 13. He says, but now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace. He, underline that if you have a Bible. And you, for he himself is our peace. Didn't say he brought peace. Didn't say he came to make peace. It said Jesus Christ is our peace. He who was made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. You see, what it's saying is Jesus Christ destroyed the walls. All of those walls I just talked about. He came that they might be torn down so that the two might now be one. So that what divided us is now strengthened. How did he do it? By abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. For his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. For he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those of you who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father and one spirit. Let me ask you this. When do walls become obsolete? When do you not need walls anymore? Is it because of the absence of an enemy? The absence of of pressure against the wall? Well, that can't be true. Because there's a whole lot of places that don't have enemies that still have walls. We've been at a peace treaty with North Korea since 1955. There's still a huge wall dividing North and South Korea. I wouldn't call it peace if you've ever been on that border. In our history, in the last 4,000 years, there has only been 268 years of no wars. Does that sound like peace to you? But yet that's what goes for peace today. See, we think the absence of, of war, the absence of opposition somehow brings peace. If we can just silence our opposition, if we can just beat the opposition down, then that means there's peace. And so... But what happens in that kind of peace is the walls don't come down. Let me give you an example. Is it peace when church members agree to disagree and then don't ever talk to each other again? Is that peace? Is it peace when we have to avoid each other to keep from saying something that we don't want to say? Is it peace when we we come to a different style of worship service? Maybe you come to this service or you come to that service, but we don't like it. So we sit there with our hands crossed and we don't sing. There's not opposition. You're not protesting, but is that peace? Is it peace when a spouse keeps a little secret for the sake of just going along to get along? Is it peace when we smile at someone at the grocery store and then use a cultural slur or a racial slur when we get in the car? Is it peace when we come and sing about grace and then try to figure out why someone came to the altar at the end of the service? See, that's what goes for peace today. It's not peace. Walls are still there. Paul said Jesus brought real peace. See, why did the walls fall? Not because Jesus got rid of the opposition, not because Jesus got rid of the struggle, because peace is not about lack of opposition. You'll always have opposition. You're always going to have enemies. You're always going to have struggle. Peace is about Jesus, the very nature and person of peace, being in the midst of those struggles. 
You see, peace comes when we are one with Jesus Christ. It's what Paul was trying to say. When we become one, there is no longer a need for walls because there's no longer division. Let me put it in a language that you understand. When you become one with Jesus Christ, when you become a part of God's family, you are no longer identified by white or black or rich or poor or this education or that education or because I go to this church or because I go to that church. You no longer have those identities. Your only identity is now a child of God. And because that is your only identity, and the only reason you got that identity is by the grace of God, there are no longer any needs for walls. Because you see, walls exist simply because of division. Walls exist in our life because we create hostility and distrust and hatred. And the Bible says Jesus came to tear those walls down. You see, here's how walls get destroyed. When we give up our selfish demands on others, there's no longer a need for walls. Because you see, that's what what creates walls. Hostility. That's what he said. Paul said Jesus, through the blood of Jesus Christ, at the cross, eliminated hostility. How did he eliminate hostility? Because he made you in his image. And being made in his image, it's no longer about you. You see, walls come when we put unverifiable demands, prideful demands on other people. It can be your friends. It can be a culture. It can be a group of people. We expect them to act the way we want them to act. We expect them to respond the way we want them to respond. And when they don't, all of a sudden we build a wall. When we're right and they're wrong and they don't admit that they're wrong, we build a wall. That's the hostility. And Jesus says, if you take away the hostility, you take away the need for walls. Because, see, I don't have to have a wall against people that disagree with me anymore because we're all saved by grace. I don't have to have a wall... uh, protecting me from from this culture or from this group or from that group. Why? Because we're all one in Christ. You see, what happens is we forget what Paul reminded us last week in verses 8 and 9. You're saved by grace, not of yourself, lest any man can boast. See, the walls in our life are a direct response to our arrogance and our pride and our self-righteousness. That's what the Jewish believers thought. They created walls because they thought they were better than anyone else. You see, we who are saved by grace create walls when we place expectations on other people and other groups that God doesn't place on them and that God doesn't place on us. We demand to get our way. Paul says Jesus took those demands away. Peace is not ignoring division. It's not the lack of division. It only comes when we recognize that we are one with those around us in Jesus Christ. They are our brothers and sisters. They're not less. They're not more. They're not different. They're the same. Because it's only at that place that we can learn to give grace and peace and forgiveness. And once we learn to give grace and peace and forgiveness, there's no longer a need for a wall. There's no longer a need for a wall in my marriage. There's no longer a need for my walls at work that I put up. Because if I cultivate an atmosphere of grace in my home, 
then when I fail or when someone around me fails, it's okay because we're all one. And when we cultivate an atmosphere of grace in the church, it doesn't matter how much money you make and it doesn't matter how much money you don't make and it doesn't matter what kind of car you drove here in or what the color of your skin is or or what your gender is or how old you are. What matters is we are one in Jesus Christ. It's more than a song. Paul says it is a truth that will set you free. We've got to tear down the walls. We've got to look into our heart and begin to tear down the walls that maybe have been generational. Maybe they were things you grew up with. Maybe they were attitudes that you grew up with. And until you start to take a a sledgehammer to them, they're only going to get stronger. And guess what? If you don't do something about them, you will pass them on to the next generation. You'll pass them on to your kids. And the same walls will only get reinforced and strengthened. By the blood of Jesus Christ, the walls can come down. I remember watching that November 1989 as the wall was coming down and people were dancing. And um, it was funny just to see the people singing and celebrating and family members. I, I can't imagine family members that had not seen each other for 30 years were hugging for the first time. Can you imagine being separated from your mom or dad or your spouse or your sister or brother for 30 years? Only contacting them through letters that you knew other people were reading. They, they were coming together. It, it was unbelievable. And I remember they zoomed in on this one older lady and she was old enough that she probably experienced World War II. And she'd experienced everything in Germany since then. And she was sitting at the wall and people were taking sledgehammers and people were taking hammers and she had a spoon And she was picking at that wall with a spoon. And in my heart, I thought it was so important. Anything she had, she was going to tear that wall down. You see, when you become that desperate about the walls in your life, God's ready to show up. And lucky for you and me, God gave us a little more than a spoon. The Bible says he gave us the Holy Spirit. The word dunamis, dynamite. God said, I've got dynamite ready to blow your wall. All you've got to do is ignite it. How do you ignite it? You surrender. Say, I don't always have to be right. I don't always have to be best. I don't always have to be in control. God light my dynamite. And when you surrender and you trust grace, you'll start seeing walls come down. What about the walls you identified in your personal life? Are you ready for them to come down? Are you so desperate that you're willing to take anything you've got to get it down? You can start this morning. Right where you are. Paul says, Jesus is the peace that destroys every barrier. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your truth. I thank you what you're doing in our lives and God I I know there's walls that that God I try to tear down and, and unintentionally strengthen or build or